HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Emmy Cheese, makers of specialty cheese from Switzerland, crafted with heart and passion. For more information, visit emmyusa.com. That's E-M-M-I-U-S-A.com. Welcome to Feast Your Ears. I'm Harry Rosenblum, and I love to talk with people about what they do and how it influences their personal food stories. This is a show about people, life, and food. If you're just tuning in for the first time, all the previous episodes of Feast Your Ears can be found in the archives at heritageradionetwork.org. I'm thankful for listeners like you, and I'd love it if you'd leave me a review wherever you find this podcast. For those of you with kids at home, I'd like to be so bold as to suggest you check out my other podcast. Along with my co-host, Hannah Forden, the program manager here at HRN, we've created Time for Lunch, a fun, food-focused show for kids. We'd love it if you'd check it out wherever you get your podcasts. And I'd like to remind listeners that Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit, and we need your help to stay on the air. If you enjoy this show and listen to the other great podcasts we produce here every week, please find your way to heritageradionetwork.org donate to make your gift. I also want to let longtime listeners know that this episode is episode number 209 of Feast Your Ears, and the following episode, which will be number 210, is going to be the last episode for a while. I'm taking Feast Your Ears on a little hiatus, but there are 209 other episodes that you can listen to, so I hope you'll make your way through the back catalog if you haven't already, and perhaps Feast Your Ears will return to new shows sometime next year. Today's theme, what makes us entrepreneurs? I often reflect on the moments in life that seem like big changes, and they often are. I think about all the people I know who are entrepreneurs who also have children. My wife Taylor jokes that those of us who suffer from the curse of the capable, we seem to take on all sorts of projects, become scout or civic leaders in volunteer positions, donate our time to various causes and organizations, and know that we get something back from doing this. Maybe it's the idea that busy people get more done or that we love a life of service, or maybe it's some sort of ADHD and we can't just sit still and chill out. I'm not sure why, but the number of people I know who have started a business at the moment of having a child seems like something that's worthy of study, and perhaps there's a study out there. I had the pleasure recently of sitting down with Tom Denon, and by sitting down, I mean we actually sat across from each other at a table at his most recent restaurant, Bayberry Garden in Providence, Rhode Island. It was the first time since March of 2020 that I did an in-person interview, and it felt great. Tom and his wife Natalie met in business school, and then landed in Rhode Island as the midpoint between their respective childhood homes in Philadelphia and Maine. 
When they were expecting their first child, six years ago, they started working on Bayberry Beer Hall, which opened in 2017, and, while expecting their second in early 2020, signed the lease on the space that has finally opened as Bayberry Garden. So, Tom, thanks so much for sitting down with me yeah, to chat today. Uh, please introduce yourself and, like, tell me what you do. Yeah, um, Tom Denon, um, the owner, along with my wife, Natalie, of... Bayberry Beer Hall and Bayberry Garden in Providence, Rhode Island. Awesome. And we are sitting in Bayberry Garden right now. Yes. Uh, just opened about six weeks ago. Correct. Right? So yeah. mid-summer 2021. Yeah. Yeah. It's let's, been quite the opening. Yeah. Let's talk a little <laughs> bit about that. Uh, I understand that that was not the intended opening date. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah. We originally looked at this space a long time ago um, and... It took us a while to really like wrap our heads around opening a second restaurant so soon after opening our first. And, you know, after just really thinking it over and talking it through with my wife, uh, we decided to make the move and we were super psyched on it. We signed the lease for this space a month before COVID. So mid-February, we were signing the lease, which is just crazy how timing works out. But, yeah. um, you know, we decided to, you know, keep going forward, we were pretty much in an ironclad lease at that point. So we had to figure it out. And even with a slower trajectory to open, we were planning on opening um, in the fall of you know 2020. Um, and now here we are, uh, having opened six weeks ago. Um, and, you know, all things considered, um, it's definitely for the better that, you know, we, we waited, but who knows what's going on right now with Delta variant and everything. So uh, it's definitely a very uh, scary time for small business owners, and restaurants for sure. Absolutely. You yeah. are my first in-person interview Oh wow! since before COVID. Nice. Awesome. awesome. <laughs> They've all been Honor. on the phone. So it's nice. It's very nice to actually sit across the table from someone yeah. and get to see facial expressions and stuff while we're conversing and to be in this beautiful space. Yeah. Thank you. Um, how has the restaurant been received? I feel like there's this like pent up, uh, people want to go out to eat yeah. and they want to support restaurants. Yeah. So how's it been so far? It's been great. Um, Rhode Island is such a small community. And so when a new restaurant opens, it's like, it's the thing to do it, you know, word travels fast in this state. Um, thankfully it's been well received. Um, and you know, we're, we're excited with how the end product came out from the, design and the finishes to the menu and cocktails, wine lists, everything like that. It's, um, it's really been, uh, not the easiest six weeks cause opening a restaurant, nothing is easy, sure. easy about opening a restaurant, but, um, you know, it's, it's all things considered, it's gone pretty, pretty great for us. Good. So, uh, but glad to hear it yeah. and, uh, look forward to coming and tasting some of the stuff on the menu. Absolutely. Can you talk a little bit about the differences between this restaurant and your other restaurant, which has beer hall in the name. So mm -hmm. I think people probably have a sense of what that kind of means. Sure. Yeah. So um, the beer hall was, you know, really kind of my passion of following, you know, the craft beer boom in this, in this country and creating a casual space that really highlights uh, the great craft beer regionally. Um, and bringing a lot of those brands and those breweries to Rhode Island that people had never heard of. And that's what I really love. I really love reaching out to breweries and brewery owners and 
building those relationships with them to procure a really interesting and exciting list that Rhode Islanders haven't seen before. Um, so that is that model is really based off more of a fast casual kind of um, scenario where you know I was inspired by a traditional German um, beer garden when I was traveling for work when I used to work for corporate um, traveling for work and uh, yeah I was inspired over in Munich Germany of just like sitting out on these awesome tables in the middle of a park and eating and drinking and this whole community aspect. Um, so trying to bring a little bit of that to Rhode Island, um, but putting a roof over it, you know, and sure. Rhode Island is very seasonal. Yeah. Um, so turning it more into a beer hall, um, but it's all communal tables. Um, and, uh, it's more of a, fast casual food, although it's very much like elevated new American bar food for sure. Um, and with Bayberry garden, we really we learned from things that we really love about the beer hall and things that we'd like to change. And with Bayberry garden, it's our more of an elevated approach to dining. There's full service wait staff. There's full cocktail list, 150 references on the wine list. Um, and a little bit more refined menu as a whole. Um, so, you know, at the end of the day, my wife and I just like putting unique concepts into market and thinking about what we think is missing or what we would like to see in Rhode Island as diners and as sure. patrons. What would we, where would we like to go? Right. Um, and yeah, this is uh, definitely like a more elevated uh, concept from the, from the beer hall for sure. Well, what are, what are a few of the, like, uh, I mean, I'm sure everything on the menu are things that you like, sure. and, you know, but what are like, what are a couple of highlights that you feel like are really, you know, really working well for you on the menu? My favorite, this sounds silly, but my favorite, uh, menu item right now is the grilled Caesar. I'm just a big salad guy. Um, and, uh, Caesar, was a Caesar salad was a big thing growing up in my family. My dad had this great Caesar dressing recipe that he taught me to make. And, um, this is, uh, an iteration of that where we're, you know, cutting the, the romaine head in half, searing it hard on the grill. So you get that caramelization, you get that smoke. Um, and then the smoked Caesar dressing goes on top. Uh, we're smoking in house and then, Rather than sprinkling Parmesan cheese, um, chef has come up with a uh, little bit of gastronomy in a way. It's a Parmesan custard that's shaped uh, a, as a cube. So you can kind of take as little or as much as you would like in every bite and it's kind of off to the side, which is really nice. Um, but we also have uh, head-on shrimp. Uh, big head on shrimp that are over top of Johnny Cakes, which is very Rhode Island, yep. um, along with house made chorizo, which is also very Rhode Island. Yep. Um, and that dish right there is probably like the best representation of what we're trying to do with this menu sure. is really highlight um, the great seafood that we are so fortunate to be able to get, um, but also. You know, the other cultures that have really influenced Rhode Island's food scene, you know, the Portuguese and everything like that. Um, so it's uh, it's 
a messy dish. You really got to kind of get in there, you know, to really appreciate the head on shrimp. You got to get in there. Yeah. And I think that makes it fun and it makes it more of a uh, shareable aspect in that, you know, you, the plate's dropped with six head on shrimp and there's a table of four and you're all kind of fighting over and enjoying the, the Johnny cake that's, you know, on the bottom and kind of soaking up all those great juices. Right. Right. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, for listeners who may not know, like the traditional Johnny cake is a very, you know, Rhode Island thing made from a traditionally stone ground cornmeal, mm-hmm. uh, basically just mixed with water and salt and a little bit of sugar and then mm-hmm. fried on a griddle. Yeah. Uh, they supposedly, my daughter uh, loves as a sort of historical factoid to point out, they supposedly were one of George Washington's favorite uh, mm. breakfast foods. Um, was like Rhode Island style yeah. cornmeal Johnny cakes. So I would prefer that over pancakes in the morning, personally. Yeah, totally. And yeah. I and I've heard that you actually can cook them on hot rocks. So all you really mm. need is like a fire cool. and some rocks, and you could just yeah. lay the batter right on a hot rock. So I haven't tried it yet, but we'll see. <laughs> maybe maybe we'll get to that. Um, I want to I want to take a step back and then talk a little bit about you and your personal history and sort of how you got here. Sure. Um, you grew up in Camden, Maine, uh, another New England state, as we were chatting before this, a, a place that I'm familiar with. Uh, two weeks ago, I hiked to the top of Mount McGuntacook. For oh, nice. those of you, you yeah. know, for people listening who've been to Maine, it's yeah. a really nice view of Camden Harbor yep. uh, from the top. Uh, and then I uh, went and sat sat downtown and had some lunch uh, with a nice view of the harbor. There's a, there's a, if you ever go to Camden, anyone who's listening, uh, a great place to sit is sort of tucked behind the public library. There's a little yeah. amphitheater that I had no idea was there. I've been going to Maine for more than 40 years. I had no idea it was there, but I discovered it. It was like this perfect little place for a picnic. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. They have a lot of weddings there during the summer too, which is fun. Yeah. um, Yeah, so grew up in Maine. Uh, My folks still live up there um, and went to business school in Philadelphia uh, where I ended up meeting my wife and she's from outside that area. And I said, you know, is is soon as we can, I want to kind of get back closer to my family. Mm. You know, traveling eight, nine hours is just tough to, to see them. So we ended up um, getting between the families, so right. about four and a <laughs> half hours each way to both our folks, Sure, <clears throat> which is nice, but also, you know, has its own limitations. Yeah. But um, yeah, we uh, went to business school together. Um, that's what my dad said. You know, he's like, go to business school. He was a lobsterman in the summer and a bartender in the winter. He's like, I want you to go to business school. I want you to make a career out of that. I don't want you in Maine kind of just like doing the odds and ends for jobs that are in this small town that we grew up in. So it was really him kind of like pushing me in that direction Mm -hmm. to get out of the small town and try and make something um, for myself in more of a business sense. Um, And... You know, that was great and all. I thought I was going to, you know, really enjoy sitting behind a computer all day long and everything like that. But uh, ended up really just not enjoying it whatsoever. Um, just wasn't for me. And I think it just goes back to how I grew up. And right. seeing really both my parents have the freedom to be at my Little League games and be able to, you know, make their own work schedules because it was quite flexible. You know, you can make your own schedule. You're not a nine to five kind of person. Um, and that was always great. It it created such a great family environment to not have, you know, parents working nine to five and, and everything like that. So, um, you know, I just, 
I got really tired of the corporate life. And I think as so many do, yeah. you know, they're always, they're, they're trying to find what they're passionate about and kind of break free from the mold. So, um, I was, uh, doing corporate digital marketing for nine, 10 years, uh, after college. And, um, as I had mentioned earlier, was inspired by a work trip to Munich, Germany right. and pitched the idea to my wife and, you know, she thought I was crazy. I thought I was crazy for <laughs> wanting to leave a comfortable corporate job to yeah. um, kind of go out on my own and, and pave my own way. And I finally convinced her. I put a whole business plan together and just pitched it to her and really put the legwork in to, um, you know, start down this path of entrepreneurialism. And I said, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it right. So, you know, went out and got financing um, full business plan projections. What does this look like? If this fails, what are we falling back on? At the yeah. time we had a kid on the way, our first kid. Who's um, five now. He's right? five. Yep. Graham. He's awesome. He has definitely like grown up in it, yep. which is fun. Um, but it, it's a risk. And I think you really have to, you have to measure risk first reward. My, my wife saw just as much as I did, how unhappy I was doing what I was doing. Right. So, you know, at 28, 29 years old at the time when I made the jump, it's like, if you're not going to do it, then when are you going to do it? Sure. No, I mean, I, I think it's, it's very interesting, the trajectory that you guys took of having gone to business school. My wife and I joke that when we became entrepreneurs, it was because we just were not afraid at that age yeah. to try anything. Mm -hmm. And we joke that like, we now both have an MBA from like the school of hard knocks. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, because we made tons of mistakes as yeah. you guys probably also did. Right. Yes. I mean, you know, but it's interesting. Like, I mean, we, I think, you know, those of us that uh, get overcome by what I call like the entrepreneurial spirit, mm -hmm. it's like, you know, I imagine it's what it's like when you see people in videos of like tent revivals where they're like sure. overcome by the Holy spirit, right? Yeah. Like it's, you feel like it's just something you have to try to do mm -hmm. and you have to try to figure it out the best way that you can. And yeah. sometimes it's a success, sometimes it's a failure. And yeah. sometimes you can't control for that. Sure. Um, obviously COVID, right. Yeah. One of those things you can't control for. Yes. Um, that was, I'm sure not part of your fallback uh, potentials. No. no, not at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. As with so many COVID was so tough. Yeah. Um, I also find everything. having talked to lots of other entrepreneurs that people do often do these things for whatever reason. I don't know if it's a human thing. I bet you psychologists have studied it, but when they have a kid on the way or when their mm -hmm. kids are young, like I look at my own personal history. My father started his own business when I was born. Mm -hmm. My wife and I expanded the Brooklyn kitchen and, and started the meat hook and created this much larger thing right when our first child was born. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and then right when our second child was born, we opened a second location. It wow. seems like you guys are on a yes. close, similar track to yes. that, right? Your second Absolutely. one is two years old now. Yes. So yep. just about yep. starting, you were, you know. We looked at this as my <laughs> daughter was like being born, I think. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, very interesting. I don't, I don't know any psychologists who are listening. Uh, please let me know if this yeah. is like something that has been studied that like these large life changes influence people in their entrepreneurial spirit. Kind of like a fight or flight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I wanted to talk a little bit about, um, you know, the, the idea that, uh, you know, so now, so you've gone, you've traded like nine to five corporate mm -hmm. where you're doing a lot of travel, you're away from home a lot mm -hmm. to a restaurant, which I mean, as an owner could be 
5 a.m. if the plumbing is broken yeah. uh, till after service at night or sure. could be nighttime. How do you and your wife, like, how do you guys manage the timeline? Because it sounds a lot like you want to be able to have that freedom to go to your son's baseball mm-hmm. games and that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, my wife and I, we have a great understanding and relationship in that I'm really the operator of both the restaurants and and she... You know, she loves taking care of the kids. She's a stay-at-home mom, and she also, um, for those familiar, we both our restaurants are filled with many, many, many plants. So she takes care of those as well, and and also helps with our events. So uh, for the most part, she's home with the kids and kind of taking care of their needs. And I'm here, and um, it's finding a balance. But you know what? We we've always known that we need to hire the right people because neither of us are from this industry. Um, I worked as a dishwasher once when I was 13 for a summer. You know, that was my extent of working in a restaurant. This really was built off of a dream to create something unique and kind of uh, pave my own way and be an entrepreneur is is starting these restaurants. So it wasn't out of a a love for cooking or a love for tending bar. So understanding that I didn't really know anything besides what I could read or listen to when I opened our first restaurant. So we had to hire the right people who had been through this, who could really kind of help us make some important decisions. So with that being said, you trust these, these folks to really help you run the business. And in doing so, you have to relent the control of being there at, 7 a.m. to 2 o'clock in the morning because you're going to get burnt out. Right. And, you know, we, we can't have that. I'm up at 6 a.m., 7 a.m. with the kids or whatever. So yeah. you've got to find the balance. And that was really the hardest thing for me was uh, really taking a step back because at the first restaurant, I really wanted to be there all hours of the day. And I found pretty quickly that you just can't. Yeah. You got yeah, I mean, to find the right people. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, I mean, having been through that, it's definitely like when you are opening something like that, not only do you feel so close to it, mm-hmm. that it's like a child, yep. right? And it's like your, it's like your baby and you want to be there for it and make sure it doesn't hit its head and all those kinds of things. Yes. At the same time, it's also, you know, what I found early on in, in the first businesses that I opened, I also wanted to be there because I was still learning. Mm-hmm. And I was exactly. interested to learn and know all aspects of the business. Right. And as you point out, at a certain point, you can't. Like when we opened our butcher shop, I was not going to learn how to be a butcher. That's right. Yeah. You had to find someone. Yeah. Yeah. yeah of course. Yeah. It's, um, it's, very, it's very interesting, but it's, it's been a great learning process for me to be able to find the right people that can do what needs to be done and that I can rely on. Today's program was brought to you by Emmy Cheese, makers of specialty cheese from Switzerland, crafted with heart and passion. Since the early 1900s, Emmy has been a passionate supporter of farmers, cheesemakers, and family tradition. They believe in sustainable agriculture and respect for the people, land, and animals that make their business possible. Remaining dedicated to tradition, they strive to lead the industry in innovation, ensuring they bring you only the highest quality, best-tasting cheese from Switzerland. 
Emmy is best known for importing more than 80% of Swiss Gruyere in the United States. But that's not to overshadow their other specialty cheeses, including Kaltbach cave-age cheeses, Appenzeller, Tete de Moine, and traditional Emmentaler. For more information, visit emmiusa.com. That's E-M-M-I-U-S-A.com. What part of the business, like, are, I guess, is there any part of the business that you didn't even realize was going to be part of the business that you really enjoy doing? Um, I love just, like, the inner workings of everything. Like, you know, being here in the morning when it's quiet, you can get some work done, but also, you know, you're hearing the chatter of the prep cooks going and talking, seeing them working up new recipes and trying out new recipes. I love being here for that. I love kind of hearing what they're thinking about for you know, the new, the new uh, seasonal vegetables and fruit and everything coming through to Rhode Island's you know, market and everything and like how are they gonna work with that? Right. And how we're gonna reimagine our menu for summer, late summer and then into fall and Kind of, you know, the, the dynamic of them working with the food and them working with each other to come up with those is really interesting. And I love seeing that um, while I can also be here kind of doing some work on the side. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah, very different right from the corporate sure. world. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's also nice to get some snacks when they're uh, <laughs> R&Ding some things. <laughs> I bet. I bet. That must be a, that must be a really fun, a fun piece of it. Sure. Um, how many, you guys are not, you're not running seven days a week at the moment. Is that correct? Yeah. We're closed on Mondays. Got it. Uh, both restaurants, which yeah. is great. It, it guarantees that everyone's going to have a day off. You yeah. know, we really strive for everyone to have a great work-life balance and have a full weekend off. That's something that's super important. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we believe in that ourselves and we don't want our team burning out. Um, and, you know, they should be able to have a balance with their life so that when they, you know, they work a hard week, they have a couple of days off and they come back energized for the next week. Yeah. And you know, there's a sense of, um, uh, you know, respect, I think, when, uh, you know, your boss is uh, not pushing you harder than you need to be pushed. Yeah. There's always got to be a balance. And I think that's something that's incredibly important and something that's, it's not status quo in this industry, unfortunately. Um, and I'm hoping that it's changing. I think I'd like to think that we're, um, doing our part for what we can to make sure that we're hiring enough people, we're setting the schedules properly, we're setting our hours properly so that everyone can, um, you know, feel really fulfilled while they're here and, and get their work done, but also enjoy their time outside of work. Yeah. So what about you? What do you do with your time away from here and the other restaurant? In the summer, uh, we've been spending a lot of time at the beach. Nice. Uh, Rhode Island is a great, yeah. great state for beaches. Yeah. Yeah, the kids uh, love to be at the beach, love to be at the pool, um, and uh, I like to golf, too. So, yeah, just, you know, I like uh, just being outside, especially this time of year. Uh, I like mowing my lawn. That's a weird thing, you know? I, some, I, I get it. Some hate it. Some you can really listen, enjoy You can it. listen to a podcast and yes. nobody bothers you, right? Yes. As it's, a dad, I totally, I, I totally yeah. connect with that. Yeah. 
but it's just great. It's, it's great to spend time with my kids, you know, especially since we opened this, I haven't really been home at night. You know, I'm, right. I'm, I'm here till, you know, at least nine, 10, 11 o'clock at night. Um, and that's just overseeing everything. So I love to be able to really kind of try to fully unwind on the weekends, try not to be answering emails and really enjoy that time with my family as much as I can, because I don't get a lot of that during the week. Right. Um, so that's important. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it sounds like, you know, your father said to you at a, at a fairly young age, like, don't follow in my footsteps. Don't become a lobsterman. Yeah. Right. On the coast of Maine. Um, what would you say to your kids now? Would you say, don't go into the restaurant business? <laughs> I would say, you know, I think as every parent would agree, you know, you, you just want your kids to be happy and to, to do what is going to bring them fulfillment. Um, you know, I would say if you want to get into the restaurant industry, get into the restaurant industry. If you're passionate about it, do it. Uh, I'm not going to force them into running these restaurants, employ these restaurants, or, you know, knock on wood. I'm right, still right, right, around right. when they're old enough. But I'm not going to force them into that. If they, you know, as they get older, if they really start gravitating towards this, then great. If it's something else, then I just, you know, I want them to do whatever is going to give them joy and, uh, you know, pay the bills at the end of the day. So. Yeah. So being from Maine, uh, you know, and for me, as you know, I've spent a lot of time in Maine Mm -hmm. and now live in Rhode Island, which, you know, in the larger sense, regionally, like we're part of New England. Um, Are there, do you see similarities and differences between like Rhode Island and Maine? I certainly do, but I'm curious to hear as someone who, I didn't grow up in Maine. I spent a lot of time there. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much um, deep rooted passion for Mainers and they are just so prideful of their home, of their county, of their town, and of their state. And it's, it's amazing. And all the states that I've traveled and really spent some time in, I feel like that's probably the, the state that I've seen that is most connected with their yeah. community yep. in their state. Um, and it's just like, especially once you get up there, it's not the easiest of lives right in the winter time especially <laughs> sure. yeah. you know and they kind of they wear that as like a a badge of honor and it's it's awesome to see um and that's one of the things that i love most about maine you know i think one when, when i was in high school i couldn't wait to get out as everyone right. does from a small town yep. and now i can't wait to go back and you just have this like this sense of warmth at least I do, a sense of warmth when I'm there. It's the little things. It's the uh, the lobster dinners that are not fussy, like at a restaurant. It's like, you know, you're throwing lobster that you got from your buddy, just throwing them onto newspapers on the table with a rack of fresh blueberry muffins and some corn on the cob. You know, right. it's very simple, and, yeah. and it's so appreciated. Um, in Rhode Island, there's that sense of community but I think it's it's different. It's so much smaller, and um, you know it, the the beauty of Rhode Island is is certainly the beaches, and everyone is like so proud of the beaches. Everyone flocks to the beaches. 
in the summertime, which is yeah. so cool. And we, that's what we really have, um, you know, that Rhode Island's get psyched on yeah. in the summertime. And, and then it's like the opposite crawl in the wintertime and everyone seems to be wanting to spend time in, in Providence, right. which is amazing. Yeah. Um, it's great to kind of see the ebbs and flows of this state as the seasons come and go. And, um, yeah, I mean, Rhode Island certainly got its quirks and its traditions, and they're so meaningful to, um, you know, to the folks that are here. Yeah, definitely. I, I find it very interesting. I think you hit the nail on the head with Maine. I feel like Mainers know more about, like, Mainers, I feel like, are like know the whole state. Yeah. Like, if you talk to somebody from Maine about Arista County, or you talk to them about Moosehead Lake, or mm-hmm. you talk to them about Midcoast, like, Camden area, Rockland, or you talk to them about further south around Portland or Gray or Bethel, mm-hmm. everybody sort of, they know where those things are. Yeah. I find it in Rhode Island, even though Rhode Island's a very, very small state, people don't like to go very far from yeah. their own community. <laughs> and this is like a like a, an ongoing joke. I mean, my wife grew up in Providence, we live about an hour south of here, and when I am coming to Providence, people who live near me in what is referred to colloquially as South County think I'm crazy yeah. to, like, drive to Providence for dinner and then drive home. Yeah, you got to pack a snack. And it's not that far, really, <laughs> to me, anyway. I mean, you know, we, we joke in the family. My sister-in-law and brother-in-law moved from Providence to Richmond, Rhode Island, and mm-hmm. other Rhode Islanders, when they said, you know, oh, we moved to Richmond, they said Virginia. <laughs> Because they didn't even know it was a town. Right. And there's only, I don't know, 20-something towns in the whole state. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yes. I think that's funny to me. Yes. Uh, and, and just interesting that people are very involved in their own community, though. Right. And that's that's the thing I've found about Rhode Island. Yeah. Similar to Maine. Yeah. Um, and I guess that maybe is the New England connection. Yeah. Is it's much that, more localized in Rhode Island, I yeah. think. Yeah. But people are very involved in their own community. Sure. Um, they are boosters of their own community. Mm-hmm. They support the businesses in their own community yeah. um, in a way that in other parts of the country maybe isn't quite as possible right yeah absolutely yeah um do you ever think that you'll do any like main dinner type things at your restaurants we've talked about that for sure um our chef is uh from georgia so you know talking about you know some big outdoor like um uh you know bakes clam bakes lobster bakes uh crab boils stuff like that um we have, we're very fortunate to have a large outdoor uh, seating area, which can hold about 100 people with very large uh, communal tables that are just perfect for that kind of setup. So I would love to do a, like traditional lobster bake out there. Yeah, sure. that would be super fun. I'm going to yeah. put you on the spot because I recently joined the board of directors for a small nonprofit based in Wakefield, Rhode okay. Island called Eating with the Ecosystem, whose mission is to help people eat more local seafood. Mm-hmm. And one of the local seafood items we've been trying to work on is the invasive green crabs. Yeah. And so we, you said crab boil. And so like I have been thinking it'd be really fun to see if it would work to do like a crab boil, like Maryland style, but sure. with these invasive, invasive green crabs, huh. where you dump those on the table and people have pictures of beer and they're picking the crab and eating the crab meat. And these it. green crabs, which are very delicious yeah. um, and are invasive to our waters, but currently don't have a lot of commercial value for the fishermen other than as bait for other things. Hmm. Yeah, I grew up as a kid uh, finding all those little green crabs under the rocks and seaweeds. Yeah. So. 
Yeah, same. That would be pretty cool. Yeah. I'll have to pitch that to Chef. All right, cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fun to talk about. Yeah. Um, well, are there any other, is there anything that we didn't get to cover that you wanted to make sure to mention? I love the idea of having, uh, you know, having a staff that you're also supporting yeah. and of it not just being about, yeah, you're from Maine, your wife is from Philly, but if Chef is from Georgia yeah. or other people on the staff are from other places, I feel like that gives you a huge range of opportunity. Yeah to have events in the restaurant sure. and then to bring, you know, as you are creating your regulars, I mean, it's only been six weeks. So, sure. but I, I imagine that this will be the kind of place, especially because of where you're located, you're in a kind of larger development. Um, I assume you're going to end up with, you know, regulars, you know, it'll yeah. be the kind of place that people will always come, you know, the same, you'll have the same six top every Thursday night yeah. after work kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've already started to see that, which is so cool. unique and so fun and, really start to build those relationships, which is what I love the most. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I love being in the restaurant during operating hours is, you know, because I'm not going to be shaking cocktails. I'm not going to be cooking food. I love just building those relationships with our guests. And at the beer hall, I can go in there any day of the week and there's, you know, a handful of folks that I still remember having conversations with the first couple months of being open four years ago. Yeah. And they appreciate that. And I think that's really where guests can really become invested and in, in, in your business and feel a part of what you're trying to do, which is amazing. And that's why we are in this is to be, um, you know, to, to, you know, make people happy. Yeah. And, um, so, you know, uh, I love that we've got our regulars that are starting to come here. And it's great because we'll see some folks will come after work on a Tuesday, you know, with a group of buddies. And then they'll come with their wife for, you know, a nice night out on a Friday or an anniversary or whatever it may be. And that's really what we're trying to do here is that although it's this big, beautiful space that we built, it's not just for special occasions or, or on a date night or whatever. Right. It's for whatever you want it to become as you are. You yeah. know, if you want to, if you want to get all dressed up with your wife or, you know, some, some, uh, friends or whatever, do that. If you just want to roll down in like t-shirt and jeans after work, please, right. like <laughs> bars are open, you know, totally. we want to be that neighborhood spot that you can really create your own experience at depending on the night or the type of mood that you're in um and you know that's 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 what we love to do yeah. is create a space that people can feel like that they can do that so. yeah r.a weinzweig who founded zingerman's in ann arbor yeah. has a whole series of businesses he tries uh or used to i'm sure he still does tried at least a few nights a week to stop by each one of their restaurants mm -hmm. and just pour water. Yeah. He just would always grab a water pitcher and go around and ask people how they were doing and pour water. Yeah. And that was, I mean, as the owner, he wasn't the chef. Sure. He wasn't making cocktails. He was just pouring water yeah. and checking in on tables and stuff, which, I, which I really I have a lot of respect for. Yeah. So I have one, one last question, which sure. is um, Bayberry, where'd the name come from? Yeah. So um, came from my grandfather's cabin up in Maine, um, in Lincolnville, Maine. Uh, is the house that my mom grew up in. It was this big, grand, at least at the time when I was small, it seemed big and grand. <laughs> sure. Um, and it was, it was this permanent residence, but it was a, you know, insulated, like essentially like a log cabin. Um, and, you know, he was just a very uh, knowledgeable man and was really like 
the, the matriarch of the family. Um, and he, uh, you know, the, the cabin was surrounded by bayberry bushes on the coast of Maine. Got it. As so many are up yeah. there. And so the cabin, rightfully, was called Bayberry Cabin. Um, and after he passed, the house was uh, ter- uh, purchased and torn down, uh, which is so unfortunate. Yeah. So Bayberry is really a tribute to him and kind of that, that name and that legacy in our family. So, yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Feast Rears today. You can follow along at Bayberry Beer Hall and at Bayberry Garden on Instagram and check out their websites, bayberrybeerhall.com and bayberrygarden.com. You can find Feast Your Ears as well as lots of other great shows at heritageradionetwork.org on iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you do really love Feast Your Ears, I hope you've listened to all the other episodes and that you'll continue listening to other shows here on the Heritage Radio Network. Please reach out to me if you have any questions. You can find me on email, harry at thebrooklynkitchen.com, and you can follow me on Instagram at thefoodballer. Feast Your Ears is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.